Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome to another episode of Goblin Lore. Today, we are joined by the host of the Mana Squad podcast. We're kind of hoping, we've been hoping for a while to, to uh, collaborate on an episode, and we had reached out to them and kind of wanted to see, you know, th their philosophy around EDH, around deck building, kind of how they approach the game, and kind of talk about how we might bring that into the real world, kind of how uh, Alex and I might approach deck building, uh, you know, sometimes from a lore-based approach. But we're going to jump into this. We want to get to know them a little bit more and kind of ask our burning question. So what's a deck that you feel that you spent the most time developing around a given theme? And if you guys also want to tell us a little bit about just your podcast and tell people where we can find you and, you know, what to expect from episodes, that would be great, too. Gotcha. All right. So uh, we are the Mana Squad. Uh, officially, uh, official title is more, of our channel is One More Mana. Uh, of course, you can find us on YouTube. Uh, we just created a Podbean account for our uh, audio podcast of MCG Fam, where we talk about uh, family and magic and how those things relate. Uh, we have a host of uh, just, I I'll call them series, um, on, on our channel uh, of One More Mana. We have uh, Command Center, where we talk about synergies for you know, new commanders and also underrated commanders. We have our deck techs and deck doctors that uh, our guy Derek does. We have uh, gameplay videos that we're going to put out more frequently once, you know, things get back to normal around here. Uh, we started a trivia uh, show as well that we're going to get up and running. We did some test runs and once things get back to normal, we're going to get that series going. And we also have uh, commander mints where we just talk about etiquette within the commander format so we, we try to do a host of things on our channel and try to hit uh different aspects of of the game that we think people will love and try to make it entertaining for people awesome so can you tell me a little bit about kind of your approach to decks just kind of a deck that you think that you've spent the most time kind of building around specific theme uh this is actually interesting well i don't know if it's an interesting story for you guys but it's an interesting story for me uh <laughs> I would say the reason that we or I approached Ken about creating this channel was because I had a very unique, what I think a unique deck idea um, for Commander that I felt like I wanted people to see and to know about. And the only way for people to know about it, of course, was to you know start the podcast and everything. So the deck that deck idea that I had was a mono green mill deck, and I That's amazing. Like... <laughs> Mono green mill. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> so uh, I need uh, to hear a lot more about this deck. I love <laughs> mill to begin with. So yeah, when I tell you more about this deck, you'll actually start to understand my philosophy as a deck builder. So I felt like nobody, no one else will have a deck like this. Uh, no one would even play this commander that I'm playing that I'm about to tell you. And nobody would see the strategy coming. So the commander that I chose for this deck was Baru, Fist of Krosa. This was the uh, the human, I think it was a human druid. Yeah, human druid, 4-4 uh, from the um, uh, Time Spiral, maybe, or the, the the weird block where cards look kind of funky. Uh, yeah, Future Sight. <laughs> future Sight, yeah. it's yeah. the Future Sighted frame. It was kind of the where, where things could go, kind of where we get Tarmogoyf and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, basically his ability is that uh, whenever a forest comes into play, green creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and trample to the end of the turn. 
So, so far, none of this sounds like anything to do with Mill, right? And um, the grandeur ability, we can just don't even worry about that. <laughs> in case people don't know, uh, the grandeur ability is the one that in EDH is the worst. Yeah. Because uh, it basically involves discarding a, another card with the same name, which is a little difficult yeah. to do. Yeah, it's a little difficult. There may be some loopholes around it with uh, clones and whatnot, but I didn't feel like focusing on that. But I just wanted to focus on the uh, forest comes into play um, and make your creatures bigger. So the ramp and aggro aspect of this cre- of this commander. So on its face, it's, it's ramp and aggro, and that's what the deck does. It does it well as, uh, too. So in one turn, I can play two or three uh, lands and pump my creatures by three and give them all trample. So while I'm beating your face in with this with this aggro trample deck, I also have other cards in here that focus specifically on mill. Uh, Altar of the Brood. Um, when a creature's coming, when a permanent comes in on my side, my opponents are putting cards into their graveyard. So of course, if I'm ramping, I'm putting out two, three, maybe four lands in one turn. My my opponents are are milling their cards. Altar of Dementia. Sacrifice. Uh, this is an artifact. You sacrifice a creature. Target player puts uh, cards equal to the number of the creature's power into the uh, graveyard. <laughs> Seems okay with big creatures. Seems know? very well with big creatures. Big creatures. Starting, to, starting yeah. to see some synergies there. Yeah, yeah. And so, Mind Crank. Um, a lot of cars are about to go into your graveyard if you get hit with this very large, trampoline creature. Uh, and so, you know, just other, a few other mill artifacts in there as well. So all the mills mostly coming from the artifacts. But no one sees it coming until I start putting out, you know, two and three. And they're like, wait, is this a mill deck? And, <laughs> and the game is almost over. Uh, either I'm going to kill you with aggro or I'm going to kill you by, you know, uh, emptying out your library. Pick one, whichever one comes first. I mean, so it's that, this idea that kind of you have a backup plan. You, you're yeah, you're yeah. not having to really dedicate a ton to it, but you have this as a, a secondary win if you need to. Exactly. Oh, exactly. That's really interesting. And, Oh yeah, so I, I, we'll probably talk about this in the uh, the next segment. But as you can see, this is similar. This this deck and the style is similar to my philosophy when it comes to building decks. So just the fact that no one sees it coming, and um, it's it's a commander that people will you know take for granted. Ken, how about you? Um, my deck building skills. Well, my deck theory is it's it varies here to there depending on what I want to do. Uh, but mostly my deck theory revolves around being preparedness, about around being prepared. But, uh, one of my favorite decks to tinker with is uh, my uh, Intet the Dreamer deck, a.k.a. my um, Freddy Krueger deck, a.k.a. the Bump in the Night deck. Like whenever this deck hits the table, it's just it want, it's to provoke fear. So, <laughs> so whenever I play this deck, a lot of people don't see it coming, but the whole point is to play very expensive things for free. Intent, when he hits you, it says, hey, uh, pay uh, blue and two. You get to uh, exile the top of your library and you get to play without his mana cost. That's not the only thing I keep in my deck uh, to help play stuff for free. Keep um, uh, the uh, green elf that you could tap and put things into play from your hand. Now it's oh, uh, Elvish Piper? Elvish Piper. Yeah. Uh, That's more a mirror, great card. Love it. More mirror vig to help uh, me tutor and find different things. Uh, of course, I keep heavy creatures like Galta in there and Zendigos to help pump. So the thing is, like, it comes out of nowhere. So we're sitting there playing. My thing is, I like to take the attention off of me. 
I'll have everybody around me doing their thing. All of a sudden, I'll play a card and all heads are turned and look at me like, wait a second, you guys a problem now. By then, <laughs> it's, it's a little too late because I'm coming across that table. Okay. Yeah, so it's the sneakiness. You And we're going to get more into philosophy, but even with this intent deck, your, your idea was to be kind of not threatening until you're threatening. Exactly. And, because, and at that point, there's not a lot of options. Because everybody's like, okay, you know what? You have a six-drop commander. We can wait. But <laughs> Turn two and three already have six or more mana, and it's coming to say hi. I'm coming to check and see if you got some sugar or some extra milk because I'll need to borrow it right quick. <laughs> awesome. And and so, Ken, uh, do you are there specific of the stuff that um said mentioned that you're involved with, or kind of what is your role kind of within the, the mana squad group or the one mana group? Oh, uh, wait, what do you mean in particular? Like, are you, is there specific, like, uh, casts within that or segments that you work on? Or So uh, one thing I like to work on are the Commander Mint. Uh, it's, uh, oh, so that's the whole thing. I put on the uh, beard, and there's normally a storm behind me. So basically, I talk about social etiquette within the, um, in the Commander community. Because whenever we sit down in a play group, there's all the ways to social contract into the way that you they to the way that you want to play mm -hmm. people like to play more competitive some people more like to play more kitchen table laid back and for those who aren't as competitive as other people who just want to play for have or play for fun like there are some etiquette rules that are lost in the mix that some people don't abide by so i pretty much tend to lean towards that to you know just to refresh people like hey we're all here to have fun and so watch out for these things because then that can muddle your reputation within. I'll say, and those are the conversations that, you know, we've been having a lot more discussion with when it comes to the community, even with, um, you know, Channel Fireball doing the Command Fest and trying to rate decks is, you know, trying to learn how to have those conversations because for a lot of people, those conversations are very uncomfortable. And then they end up sitting at a game and having just a horrible time, which for EDH, is kind of the opposite of the point. Exactly. Right. Yeah, and um, Ken also, um, he's the co-creator co of this this channel as well, so, you know, wouldn't have this channel without his help. Uh, we we host the Command Center together. That was our okay. mainstay show, um, mm -hmm. the, the first thing that we came out with. And then when uh, Derek joined the team, then Derek uh, focuses more so on, on the deck techs. And we also have uh, Kyle and Mason, uh, they join me with the MTG fam where we talk about the, the family and magic uh, aspects. Yeah. And like I said, I was yeah. uh, talking before the show, we were actually the three of us. Um, we're going to, well, the four of us were going to play one night. And unfortunately we just yeah. had technology difficulties. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something I'm still hoping that we really get to do because it is a lot of fun to kind of just. Um, so one of the things I've been trying to do is do streaming during this, which is parents playing EDH because it is, kind of an interesting world to be in to be a parent to be a father um for me a father obviously but uh and and, and playing the game and what that means right 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 um we'll, we'll hopefully we can get the technical stuff uh figured out uh i did just recently get a new webcam so <laughs> i know that was slightly yeah i was gonna say <laughs> uh yay for uh yay for pandemic making technology that was easy and cheap to get not right right <laughs> <laughs> 
dollars for a twenty dollar whale cam. All right, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll see you outside, sir. <laughs> <laughs> or you're sitting there like trying uh, to be the first one to get into Target when they restock. Exactly. <laughs> well, Alex, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about? Because I don't. I mean, I obviously know your decks a little bit better, <laughs> having gotten to play against a lot of them. I'm wondering which one you're going to choose to talk about. Yeah. I want to I want to talk about my uh, my Zyra Irene deck. So uh, for those who are not familiar, Zyra Irene is a card from Legends. Um, costs green, black, red, and is just like a one-two flyer. Um, has an activation: green, black, red, and tap, draw a card. Well, just and I we'll get into this later. Like for me, b- deck building is a lot of I, I bring a lot of mill characteristics to it. So like I have some Vorthos, some story. Me- um, elements to what I like to do in magic, but I also have a lot of the mill and I like mechanics and weird cards that we'll get into that later. But so Zyra is a card that I've wanted to play as a commander for a while, but it's like, what do I do with this, this creature? It doesn't have any particular bend, but when um, the Gitrog monster was spoiled um, a number of years ago, I realized that hey, I just love land centric themes, but I also needed a deck where I could play Gitrog next to seismic assault and zyra is the perfect colors for that <laughs> so i built a, a, a jund lands deck you know a couple years before lord Windgrace came out and even with lord like lord Windgrace is a card in the deck and there's a different version of the deck where he'd be the commander but i still really like having this three drop commander that is versatile in that if i'm getting a slow start i gotta love I'm the, start drawing the jund cards card draw and yeah, you love that. And it's you can find some of those interesting things back in Legends before they kind of fully hashed out what colors did what things. Deck is it's a thing I've been building for years. It's really the first deck I built and kept for more than a year because I have lots of weird ideas that I'm really interested in, but most of them I'll build or I won't even build them. But if I do, it's like a game or two and then I'm done with it. But this was a deck that I really liked the different th- synergies that I could do with lands. So I have like the get rug seismic assault, you know, life from the loam combo, which is a fun one, but then there's other different land combos where I can start to take some of these pieces and they fit into multiple Sounds engines. Awesome. So that's, that's the deck I've been working on the most. Oh, I should probably <laughs> introduce myself too. So I'm Alex. <laughs> uh, on Twitter at uh, Mel underscore Chronicle. I was going to say, yeah. Get I really excited about this deck. And I uh, get to. You forget to introduce yourself like half the time, though. So yeah. it's fine. <laughs> I, I yeah, guess look, so. People I don't know him by now. Listeners are used to it by this point. <laughs> but if you're a new listener, welcome. Yeah. And if some people find us through you guys, they're not going to have a clue who he is. So. If I was you, Alex, I'd be more arrogant with it. I'd be like, should know me by now as a matter of fact i'm no longer introducing myself as a matter of fact i am that guy <laughs> yeah. for the rest of the cast please address me accordingly um well i i'm hobbs q um i can be found everywhere um at hobbs q the deck that i have had the longest in, in this to me when we talk around a given theme has shifted greatly even though the deck has sort of remained the outer shell has been the same and that's Nickel Bolas. Um, so once again, anybody who listens to this show, <laughs> Bolas did nothing wrong. We'll get that out of the way right now. Uh, he just wanted to be left alone to read his books. Everybody knows this, which is why the deck still to this day has old school 
uh, you know, six mana, oh, no, eight mana Bolas as the commander, reading his books, three mana upkeep, reading his books. I've never changed it from that because the deck initially was just built as Grixis Control. Um, It was really made as a combo deck, so it was basically made to make infinite lightning bolts by using uh, Reiterate, Reset, and a lightning bolt, which you could get off of Firemind's uh, Foresight. You could uh, basically end step that, which lets you get a three mana, two mana, one mana instant. And then during the next upkeep, you would just kill everybody. So I am not a spike. Keep in mind, Hobbs is not a spike. I've never been a spike. Uh, But this deck was like the deck that I built and... I spent so much time on it because the original iteration of it, the it, it it was completely foiled out. It was back. I mean, I built this deck probably 2011, 2012. Uh, I got in on EDH very, very early. I decided on the first iteration of this deck that I was going to fully foil it out with everything that could be foil. And then everything else would be at least kind of quote unquote high end as I could. So I had duels, but they were going to be revised. Uh, I had like a mana drain in the deck, but the other deal was I had to trade for every single thing in the deck, which was kind of the interesting piece to it was I had the deck built, I was playing it. And then I was slowly trading for um, fetches that were foil, just every card in the deck I wanted to find in foil that, ha- that, that had a foil version of it. And, and the reason I enjoyed this was because it, it, it was back in the day where I traded a lot more in person. And so this was a, a, a huge project. Um, and what's funny is the one card that was the most difficult for me to find was a Void Mage Husher, which is actually hmm. one of my pet cards for EDH. Do you guys know Void Mage Husher? Familiar with it. Not aware of this one. So basically you can flash it in and it counters an activated ability. Yep. So, and then when you cast a spell, you can bounce it back to your hand. So yeah. back in the day, it was oftentimes used to stop things like a Nev's Disc or an O-Stone. But basically, it was used as a trick. Use it for Planeswalker Ultimates now. Um, finding a copy of it, it's not an expensive card, but it just nobody played it or had a ton of them. So finding it in foil was like kind of like my grail. It was like I ended up having to just... Every time I traded with people, that was like the first question that I would ask them. So the deck meant a lot to me because it really was this labor of kind of trying to find each piece of it, get it into foil, kind of build the deck. And then I absolutely decided I didn't enjoy playing it, tore it to the ground and turned it into Bolas theme deck. It's clones and stealing. So basically everything revolves around trying, actually my goal in the deck is to get as many solemn simulacrums into play as possible. (laughs) and i have actually been able to i've had enough solemns to win off of mechanized production which is the one that if you control eight or more artifacts of the same name you win i was playing a game on camera during the pandemic where at one point i think i had 16 solemns in play (laughs) that is i literally had no basics left and i had no basics left in my desk deck No, it's funny. I know we've had games, Hobbs, where you have your solemn count mm-hmm. and I'm playing my Zyro deck and I have my lands per turn yeah, count. Yeah, we all kind of shared a little bit here about kind of just some of the decks, the like the individual decks that really have stood out to us. 
But instead of kind of focusing on a specific lore topic for today or one specific deck, we want to focus on the philosophy that each of us kind of bring to deck building. So Sed, you kind of mentioned that this deck that you have is kind of going to come out and even Ken, yours kind of seem to be coming out of nowhere or not really being the threat until it's too late. Because I believe mm -hmm. that deck building is kind of telling a story. Um, and I, I really would just like to hear kind of about how you guys approach deck building in general. So in general, like I said, mine is, is the Boy Scout model, but just prepare for everything. And said even knows this, like I have what, like 17 decks or so? Yeah. And um, most of my decks, I start with the basis of one thing, be ready for as much as I possibly can. So there's at least one piece of graveyard hate. Uh, there's at least uh, some form of artifact or enchantment removal. There's a one, at least one exile effect or something just to make sure. And there's one breaking case of emergency, like the board needs to be removed effect. And then from the start of it, uh, when I create a deck is, I, I think about one, how do I have fun? I'm not trying to think about oppressing the table. I don't, if, as a matter of fact, if I'm arch enemy at the table, that's not even fun for me. I'll even try to give people chances to run back up and fight back because at that point you're just kicking the sand back. But the whole point is to how can I have more, a lot of fun and how can I also as many tricks and shenanigans at the table so that everybody can like, okay, that's interesting. I've never seen this combo before. And I'm, everybody's actually still able to have fun, cast their spells. I don't want to be the nope guy. I want you guys, I want everybody to do whatever they can to try to stop me. I do whatever I can to try to win. So that's my the base philosophy when I build decks. Um, most of mine are like various enchantments that people haven't seen. Um, very enchantments, various enchantments that aren't used. Um, very sneaky creatures that uh, that I that I can augment and play around with and stuff like that. So you said they're kind of you want people to have fun. It sounds like Ken, but there really is still an emphasis on your goal is to still win the game, right? I mean, you you want to be able to have that. That's more of a secondary thing. Okay. If I, if I if I win or lose, I really don't care as long as the game was enjoyable. Okay. So your kind of approach is you want to be able to have answers for things because you want the game to be able to keep going. Exactly. Like if somebody's over in the corner plotting the combo off, I just want to know I got my eye on you and I have mana up. Okay. And I actually really like the, the fact that you mentioned, I think there's been a lot of discussion recently I've seen within the EDH community about people not playing enough interaction. Um, I know I've seen people talking about going back through their decks and actually counting pieces of interaction and realizing how few pieces they often have. Uh, I know that that's one thing that's been, for me, I, I like to play things out of the graveyard, and I know that part of that comes from the fact that it seems to be pretty safe with a lot of the playgroups I'm in. I, I often say more people should be playing things like Graveyard Hate. They should have answers for those because it's too easy to basically make it into a second hand. Mm -hmm. A lot of people who like to play stuff, like, for example, I also like to build ways to stop myself, too. For example, um, with my intent deck, my intake deck. <laughs> I really like that. Sorry. That's just awesome. <laughs> like, if it gets out of hand, I want to be like, if you don't build contingencies in your deck, and, and for example, somebody takes control of my deck with the mini, uh, take my turns or take my creature spells, I always put stuff in there that's able to stop myself. And said, how about you? I know, I, I, sorry, I jumped in a little bit. I wanted to piggyback off of Ken, but. 
I know you were oh, no. going to say oh, that's something. Fine. That's fine. Um, well, I was about to go to uh, my my uh, philosophy. Uh, so for me, uh, very similar to my commander that I just told you about, um, Basu Baru, Fist of Krosa. It's a very underplayed commander. Uh, people either have never heard of it or have rarely ever seen it. Uh, it's outside of the box. Um, and it's, it's, it's a commander that I want you to underestimate. And that's kind of my philosophy when it comes to building a deck. I don't want the attention to be on my commander um, because you start to, you know, prejudge what my deck is about to do, what, um, what cards are going to be in my deck and what the theme is already. And so I kind of want, sometimes I want you to prejudge and I want to prove you wrong, or I just don't, I don't want you to have a clue at all what my deck is bringing to the table. So I play those outside of the box commanders where it's like, okay, this is new and I have no, I have no idea how to feel about it. And that's, that's how, that's, that's what I want to bring to the table. Like I'm, I'm about to teach you a lesson today. <laughs> that's your, is that the educational psychology side of you there? Yeah, that's, that's my, that's my, uh, <laughs> that's my educational philosophy is that uh, I'm, I want you to reevaluate what you think and I'm about to teach you a lesson. <laughs> okay. I'm curious when you say that, like, do you, so, cause one of the things that we talk about when it comes to EDH, I know, one thing that can go into a deck philosophy is how much does your commander matter? Um, you know, are you <laughs> using it because you're trying to build specific colors? I think of this more with the two and three mana colors. You know, mm -hmm. are, do you just want the colors? You don't really care about the commander. Um, you mentioned basically you almost want your commander to kind of be like a trap or at least something to make you think. Yeah, so for I, I go back and forth on this, and this is sometimes where I find myself being pigeonholed. Um, if if my philosophy is I want you to underestimate underestimate my commander and also my deck, that means that I have to build a deck revolved around certain colors and certain commanders. So sometimes I may be locked in on what that commander's ability is and building a deck around that commander. I don't always like that because I don't like you know putting my commander out front and center and the deck will falter if the commander falters. But, um, you know, certain colors allow you to not have to rely on your, um, you know, underused commander or the, the commander that people aren't used to seeing. So, you know, mono green is everyone knows mono green. <laughs> Everything is coming at you. It's turning sideways uh, commanders, whether the commander's there or not. So it's easy for me to get away with that one in that deck where I don't have to rely on the commander too too heavily. It's just like a, a added spice. Uh, whereas another commander that I had actually considered talking about today was a, a Chroma Angel of Fury. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, this is a deck that I've never seen anyone else play because it's a eight mana mono red commander, uh, five and three red. And it has a bunch of text on it. But the important parts of this is that, um, you know, it has morph. Uh, for three and three red, but this is a commander that I had to pretty much uh, build around the same philosophy of being underused outside the box. I want you to underestimate it, and I can kill you in two turns. <laughs> and right, because it's got fire breathing. It's got the protection from a lot of. Is it blue and white? I believe it's got protection from blue and white. Like, yeah, can make sandwiches. It can do your taxes. Yeah, can be countered. <laughs> and so when when they get hit with that first hit. The table looks like, oh crap, that that came out of nowhere. And then, 
you know, I start to get targeted a little bit with that deck. Um, the deck itself doesn't necessarily falter if, if Chroma's not there, but I feel like I do have a lot of pieces that focus on a Chroma coming in, swinging hard and fast that, um, you know, it, 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 I feel like I may focus too much a little bit on a Chroma, but uh, as Ken has alerted me, Fiery Emancipation is now a new card. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> it is a really good card. Yep. So I think I can one shot somebody now. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, but I did notice that Ken uh, did kind of chuckle real quick when you asked, uh, you know, as far as building around your commander and having to rely on that commander. And he chuckled yeah. because there's a certain commander that I actually want him to just talk about real briefly about uh, what that commander is. And do you play to the colors or are you playing to the commander? And I think he already knows which one I'm talking about. Yes, I do. Newmont the Devastator. Oh, oh gosh. Yeah, that's a way to make friends. <laughs> oh, yeah. and, that's, and I'm glad you brought that. Honestly, I've, how many, and say I can attest to this, how many times have we played and I don't even cast my commander? Uh, you for, sometimes forget that you even have a commander in some games. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, so but what I love about <laughs> Newmont is that when I put him on the table, all eyes turn to me because... Numa is known for land destruction, right? Mm-hmm. But what you don't know is that Numa is a soldier deck. <laughs> <laughs> By the time people realize that, it's too late to do anything about it. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. they see me and they see me ramp and everybody's afraid, afraid to put specific lands out. And they're like, okay. And they're bartering. And then they're waiting for me to cast Numa so that they can get rid of them. Then they start to notice, okay, there's two soldiers on the field. There's 10. There's 20. <laughs> and they're like, are you ever going to cast new mod? I was like, no, nah, I feel like it. So I'm thinking of that really when it comes to maybe uh, uh, new groups. Because I'm guessing people like said at this point, it, unless you're like, well, what would be funny is if you just completely rebuilt the deck and didn't tell him and then did that. But, you know, <laughs> he now knows this theme. So like, it, it seems like that would be one that you might pull out with a new group versus maybe ones with a, a regular group? Oh, no. It's, I'm glad that you brought that up. So me and Sarah were playing in a group, and I brought Newman out. And he knows what the deck does, so he starts attacking me right off back. And then the other table, it looks to the other table, it looks like he's bullying me. So they start attacking <laughs> him. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I would also say I, I definitely appreciate his Newman deck because as he told you with his deck building philosophy is there are so many contingencies in there. There are so many strategies in there. It, it doesn't always play the exact same way every game. So yeah. I, I do feel like he's yeah. a threat that you need to take down and don't let him get more than seven mana. <laughs> so so when, you, when you mentioned Ken having 17 decks, like how much variety do you kind of have there? So uh, the thing is like, I, I like to be able to do different things. Um, most of the times I'll take a commander like whenever a new commander set comes out I try to get I'll get all the commanders and then I'll try to either rebuild them to do something else uh, and sometimes they'll just be a little too degenerate so I'll just put them away like I have a Kalia deck I have a Reese deck and I also have a um, Drotha deck and uh, I'll put those on the shelf and put those away because I think they're a little too much so certain decks, when I build them, I'm thinking, man, I, I just created Frankenstein. I need to go sit in a quarter and I need to go punish myself because this is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I won't play those because I know they're not fun. 
It was fun building them, but then then I look at and I was like, what is this? Why why is there cocaine on my table? Then I got to put that. (laughs) (laughs) Then certain other decks, you know, I can just, you know, say, okay, now this is more practical. So some of them I get carried away with. I got to put them on the shelf. Other ones I can just be more practical with. So Alex, I mean, let's give you let's give you an opportunity. I mean, let's hear about from no, you. I guess yeah. you know. No, that's that's interesting because there's like little pieces that definitely are similar to me and things that are very not similar for me. So for the most part, I I will generally build around my commander. Um, one of the things I've had to learn is to build my decks so that they aren't dependent upon only the commander because that creates problems that I've. I mean. Yeah, that's that's graded problems that I've had, but for me because I tend to build, there's usually something that I find mechanically interesting about whatever I'm building, um, and it's weird things like card the card restoration specialist, which is a uh, artificer from one of the Kaladesh sets. It's just you sacrifice it, return an artifact card, up to one artifact and up to one enchantment from the graveyard to your hand. But for me, like that's this. Those are generally two very different decks and two different strategies. This is a card I'd still want to build a deck around, but it's... But, um... So my my Zyra deck is actually kind of unusual because usually I have the commander as part of that strategy, but because there's enough other mechanical things going on under the hood that that deck worked. I have a um, a Kozilek the Great Distortion deck that's very much... Mechanically, it's about playing Kozilek and winning with Kozilek. It's a colorless deck. I, there's all sorts of ridiculous infinite combo shenanigans that I could put in the deck, but I don't have any of that. My goal, I want to win with Kozilek. So it's about casting Kozilek as often as it takes to win the game, which is sometimes five or six times in a game. But I have so many mana artifacts in there, and I found, you know, so that that's kind of been my my general thing is finding these mechanical things but then finding the problems with my building style where i'm a little too focused on this and i don't have enough answers so then i have to go find some ways to introduce those answers that's why like personally i like charms and and commands usually because they're a good flexible option for me to have an answer to a thing or to use this card to contribute to whatever engine i'm building so I think for me, um, Ryan Sanio, a local Minneapolis player, has said this about me, is that most of my decks, no matter what they are, tend to dictate how the game is going to be played. So I tend to build around a lot of commanders or just deck themes that really maybe dictate pace of play. So whether it is something like Zosu the Punisher that really is just built simply because I played in a playgroup in San Diego where everybody wanted to ramp all day long. They were kind of like said in this respect. They just wanted to put lands into play and they wanted to do it. And it really was just kind of this game that I always felt, okay, well, we need to try something different. I think even from what Ken said, they didn't run a lot of answers. They just wanted to do their own thing and not necessarily really interact. And for me, I really wanted to kind of push that envelope. Um, a lot of times I think that I tend to look like the threat even when I'm not. And I think that I have a reputation for that. And it, it is in part just because I do, uh, well, the joke is I always say I'm not a spike, but I am probably a little spikier than most of my play group. Um, the reason I don't feel like one is I came from a play group previously before moving to San Diego 
that really was playing competitive EDH before competitive EDH was kind of a separate thing. And I didn't realize what my power level was and kind of how to scale that back. Um, I'm somebody that likes to have kind of just different deck building restrictions that I either place on myself or by trying out formats. So I love deck design. I love deck building. I love going through decks in my mind, even if I never build them. Something like 1DH, which is $1 EDH, where nothing in the deck can be over a dollar that was, you know, people in San, uh, I mean, sorry, in Minneapolis started playing was great for me uh, because I love trying to find cards that people aren't playing. I love to find, uh, you know, how do I still do broken things that I'm going to enjoy with the restrictions to it? Uh, I actually am a big fan of more restrictions in EDH rather than less. So if we ever, you know, if we want to talk about hybrid mana, I am against doing it because I think that it it, it cuts down on restrictions and I'm actually in favor of restrictions. Um, so I think for me, my design philosophy a lot of times is I have a story that I want to tell or something that I want to do with my deck. Uh, you know, I build around commanders such as Angus McKenzie. I built around specifically because of the art of the card. He looks like... Uh, Tim the Enchanter from Monty Python. So I built Enchantress just completely around him. Uh, the goal was to win off of a convoluted combo. And I would say that in general, most of my decks, I think it's not necessarily a breaking cage of an emergency, but games need to end. So I think that almost all of my decks have ways to just end the game. So I do tend to have a combo or I do have tend to have something that will end the game eventually. It doesn't mean I'm going to win that way. It could take four cards to set up, and it's usually pretty easily interruptible. But I do like having the option to go kiki-jiki. You know, I I do like to have the option to try to do things like loop living death five times. Um, Mm -hmm. That's actually my favorite thing to do. I have to, like, stop myself from putting that into every deck that's possible for me (laughs) to do it in. I had to learn how to do that myself. Well, the opposite of you. I had to learn how to make sure my decks had win conditions so that the games ended. My my original, because I, I built, my before I had Kozilek, I built a Karn deck because I loved the idea of trying to build without basic lands because this was before Wastes. And so I built this deck and it was a lot of fun, but it was a giant Rube Goldberg machine that didn't do anything. I drew cards to make artifacts, to make copies of those artifacts, to draw more cards. And then I guess I have enough cards on the table. I win with a plague mirror holding swords. Like it, it wasn't fun for people because I was taking 20, 25 minute turns and without being able to actually do anything, doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. And then just being like, pass the turn. And they're like, you've drawn 30 cards. Can't you win? I was like, no, pass the turn. Yeah. I'm somewhere in the middle of you two. So like (laughs) my, my decks can go either way. They can be like, I can win. But most of the times I don't. So I'll put, sometimes I'll play a card like, nah, this game is going on well enough. If it hits that one hour mark, I was like, okay, you know what, guys, let me go ahead and finish this right quick. Yeah, you want to you want to be able to start a new story. You want to be able to play a new game. Yeah, I do. I do find myself having to be better at finding more game ending pieces or game ending cards uh, or combos. Um, it's, it's really weird because I first started playing Commander uh, back in like 2011, 2012. I forget. Um, I was I was a combo player. Um, and then mm-hmm. after a while, I realized like combos can be a little overbearing and too much. And so I drifted away from combos a lot and I actually stopped putting them in my decks. <laughs> so I, I, I'm trying to find a happy balance. 
And I would say too that um, I mean, depending on what you're able to do, and like Ken mentioned, like I could just keep coming back because I think it's awesome to have the 17 decks. Like, you know, I think I'm back up to a variety of about nine or ten, and and have some in the works. Partly because I want decks that I can play in different situations. I want to be able to have different games or be able to play with different play groups, and to recognize what type of game I am getting myself into. Yeah, I think your Bolus deck, what it's turned into is really cool for that with new playgroups because it's all about stealing and copying. So it kind of scales to the power of whatever everyone else is playing. Yeah, so that that is the deck that I talk about a lot that I am the happiest with because of that fact. Like, I if you don't play good creatures or good things in your deck for me to copy or steal, like, my deck is, it, it powers down to whatever the level is of what I'm playing. If people are playing lower-powered creatures... That's what I'm going to be copying or that's what I'm going to be trying to steal. And so it, it, it does tend to allow me to do things that where I, I feel like I can play that deck in most formats without it's going to be strong. It does have a chance to win, but it's not going to just overrun a table. So even my lands deck, that's the goal is to cast over. <laughs> well, at least in some of the some of the engines like that, that deck. One of the things I like is to kind of find these little engines that have pieces that go into other engines that are also in the deck. So just these interchangeable pieces. And so I can play and then just kind of see what I find. And I have multiple ways to win. I have multiple sort of things that I can do with the deck so that every game isn't the same, but I still have ways to win. And I think looking at how we change over time, um, I think another thing that is really important is I'm curious how you guys approach when you actually are building the deck itself. You know, we talked about design philosophy, but when you're actually sitting down to build a deck, do you build out a list, order cards, format? Like, how do you approach your actual deck building? Oh, to me, sometimes some of my decks have themes. For example, with my Zakama deck, that's my Jurassic Park deck. And I try to figure out how can I make my decks unique? It makes them fun and unique for my other decks. For example, my Zakama deck... All the lands in them are unstable lands. They look immaculate. And uh, it's a mixture of humans and dinosaurs. And whenever I play the deck, I play the theme to Jurassic Park. So it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> Do you bring along like a speaker with you? <laughs> I, either, I either turn the music on my phone or I'll hum it. <laughs> so everybody knows what they're getting into. And, and so like each deck, I just try to do something like that to have fun with. Okay, so do you do you like write out a deck list, do a research for it before you even sit down to kind of like start pulling oh, cards, or how how do you yeah? Because you mentioned like the lands, I mean, like I don't got that many unstable lands just sitting around. So, oh, it's it's it, it all starts with a commander. It does, even though most of the time I don't connect, I don't cast my commander. <laughs> okay, I start with a commander. So like I look at a commander that's interesting. I was like, okay, that commander is interesting has the potential to be devastating but i love the way this commander look then i said okay it's a dinosaur okay what can i do with dinosaurs oh jurassic park okay cool or if i'm doing something with spirits and specters that's gonna be my ghostbusters deck i'll do vehicles and stuff like that so like or if i want to do like a um, mono black deck which i'll do like a um what's his name the vampire uh with flash or the the vampire with haste uh you can sacrifice a creature, give it indestructible. Olivia? Um, no, you're talking about. Um, I just actually just looked at him yesterday. 
uh, the the Aetherborn vampire from uh, Kaladesh. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, with him, that's that's my Batman, and, and with him, I use vehicles and stuff and different gadgets. So it's I start with the commander, then I think, okay, how can I do a theme with that, and how can I have fun with it? Okay. <laughs> Seth, how about you? Yeah, uh, when I want to do fun decks like that, that's actually very, very easy for me to uh, to do. So I have a couple of anime decks. Um, I like to incorporate anime into my, my Magic the Gathering. So I have a Naruto deck and I have a Team Rocket deck from Pokemon. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> uh, we've only featured one on our channel so far through our deck text, but the I'll talk about the Naruto deck really quick because that mm-hmm. one I think I took the most time to actually figure out. Um, is is based on the enemies from Naruto, uh, the anime, and the leader of the deck is Thraxamundar, and it's basically it's a zombie assassin. So it's based off of uh, <laughs> it's based off of uh, Zabusa from uh from from Naruto when he was reanimated as a zombie, and I chose that because it just he has a fierce look uh, when he goes into his demon form, uh, and. I was like, I want this. I want to alter this entire deck uh, to be the anime, to be the Naruto characters. And so I just did some quick photocopy FedEx alters of my own and just stuck paper in front of them. Uh, nice. I, yep. <laughs> but the real cards are actually behind them. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know, some people don't even bat an eye when they see that 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 alter. <laughs> They're just like, oh, Thraxamundar? Okay, that looks cool. And uh um, favorite one is the Itachi one. Yeah, Itachi is uh Phoenix, the god of deception. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um and I just I just have so it's the Grixis theme, but it's the the enemies from Naruto. Uh Madara is like uh one of the Nickel Bolas planeswalker cards, and it, it just gets ridiculous. And I it's actually surprising. I thought you said villains, that's a hero. <sighs> Sorry, I'm contractually <laughs> obligated. <laughs> uh, it's okay. You can just ignore him when he does that. <laughs> We're gonna talk about Thanos later, aren't we? Uh <laughs> But but yeah, I actually built that deck just as a uh, not as necessarily as a joke. I was proud of it when I built it because the theme was cohesive, and the cards matched the personalities of the characters I was trying to convey. And I took it to Gen Con one year, and it actually won most of the games I played in. Uh, so I was very very surprised by that deck. See, it makes, so I actually the Naruto thing made me think. I actually did um, an Airtai the Corrupted deck that was um, Star Wars. So it was actually the first Ooh. kind of clone. It was a Clone Wars deck. So it was uh, clones and artifacts, and then legendary creatures as stand-ins. So Airtai actually has two versions of the card. So it was Anakin. Um, so there's the the original Airtai card before he was corrupted. Um, so I love stuff like that. Like that's you know he was a wizard adept, and then it was moved from mono blue to Esper. So I love the idea of kind of just, I would have loved to have gotten that whole deck altered, you know, Star Wars theme, just straight up. It's funny. I, I have not done any decks like that recently. That's a thing I kind of want to do. I just, I, there's so many cards, like there's just so many cards and then there's more cards all the time. And so it's hard for me to kind of find the things that I think would fit those themes. At some point, I got to just sit down with what I have and, and, and try to build something like that. But many, many years ago, um, so I, I started playing Magic when I was eight, um, back in 94. So 
I, I started playing with my dad and some friends of his. And, and at one point my dad, myself, and one of his friends, um, we'd all read the same book series. So we decided we were going to build at, you know, the t- this was well before formats really. So we just built, you know, these casual kitchen table decks around the, um, the fantasy series, the, the Xanth fantasy series by Piers Anthony, um, which is a fantasy series. I should not have been reading as a child. It's, it's a weird it's a weird series. Um, the basic problem it's there's this magic world that's connected to the real world and all, all humans who are born there have unique magic talents and there's a lot of strange elements, but it was really fun. The three of us, we built our decks independently and then we all sat down to play and then just finding things like, Oh, this card represents this character or this, you know, land represents this feature that is in the somewhere in in the land. And that, I think about that a lot and still trying to figure out how to like get myself to build something like that today. Yeah. What's funny is time I was asking, you know, I think it's interesting. We had these sites like EDH rec and, and places that can kind of give frameworks or places to start that a lot of people have very strong opinions on. And I know that I'm thinking historically, my way to build decks is basically to been to grab whatever is around me. So it's usually, I I think I'm kind of like Ken in the sense that I end up starting with my commander, even if I'm not going to end up using it, but it's usually pulling legendaries, looking at something that might be interesting, trying to find a theme around it. Um, A lot of times it's then just pulling cards and then slowly maybe making upgrades if I do searches on Scryfall. I'm just thinking, you know, for me, it's always been more about kind of trying to build as much as I can on my own before asking for outside advice or looking at those sites like EDH rec. And I don't know. It's just like, that's it. It's like that idea that it's like, I just almost feel like I, I'm not saying not to net deck. It's just EDH is my, is more of where I think of, I get my creative expression from. And to me, I want to try to start that at least on my own. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree. Cause I do the same. I have the same uh, concept as well. So what I do is uh, if I don't start from a particular commander, I want to use, I just start with what type of mechanics do I want to play or what, what's the theme of the deck? And then I'll figure out the commander around that. And I, I kind of use EDH rec and Scryfall as the last resort uh, to just see if there's something obvious that I'm missing for my theme itself, not necessarily for that commander, but for the theme of the deck itself. Uh, so sometimes I don't even look at the commander that I'm using for EDH rec when I go. I, I may look for other mm. commanders that fit that theme or that mechanic uh, yeah. and see, what, see what's going on with that. Also, uh, underutilized source that I feel like people maybe have forgotten about. There were discussion boards on the old gatherer site. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. People, even though those were geared more towards um, standard and, you know, uh, whatever formats, lesser formats were going on back then, um, <laughs> uh, I still look to see what were some of the obvious cards or, or interesting cards people put into those discussion boards. Um, you know, so go back and look at some of the old sites. I know that uh, uh, there are some old MCG sites. Uh, I, I kept bookmark uh, on my computer that sometimes I go through just to look to see what people were talking about back in 2012 and 2013. Um, like, oh yeah, yeah, that would actually go with that commander uh, that that no one's playing with right now. I definitely am still the type that I like to play a card that people have to ask me what it does. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I, I definitely feel gratified when that happens, but that's it's a little lower on my priority list. <laughs> than I think it is 
for you, Hobbs. It's it's there, but it's a little bit lower. See, it's it's interesting for for me with tools. Sorry, to, uh, but like I do, I check Scryfall almost immediately. But like EDH rec is usually one of the last things I check because a lot of times for me, it's I'm looking for some. I have there's some weird mechanical thing, and I'm like, is there enough cards for me to build a deck around this thing? And so I'll go do a couple Scryfall searches and see. Like I, recently, I've been I've been thinking about building um, Soren Vegful Bloodlord, the um, Soren from War of the Spark, as a Oathbreaker deck. And so I just had to decide because I realized he gives not just your creatures lifelink, but also your Planeswalkers. And so it's like, okay, that's interesting to me. Are there enough Planeswalkers that that matters? And then is there enough things I can kind of do with a life drain, a life gain deck in these colors? that do stuff that I think is interesting. And so I, I went and did like three or four EDH rec searches and said, okay, it looks like there's enough cards to do this. Now I'll start building a list. Well, I, I, sometimes I take a longer method. Like I'll go to the gatherer site to do like a search, a mass search and just go through like a uh, hundred of the cards is listed just so I can get a feel of what's going on. Just make a list of the cards from there and, and go check prices and realize I don't feel like selling an arm and a leg, so I'll go to another cart and then choose that as well. Yeah, yeah, just go through, get exposed to as many cards as I possibly can. So we're going to end here for today because we want to kind of really make sure that we have enough time to really get into how we can apply this to our life and our real world. We've kind of spent the time so far talking about each of our philosophies, and we really want to get into maybe how those philosophies that we use for deck building may inform stories about ourselves, which is what we're going to do next time. So before we go, I want to give um, my guests a chance to kind of plug their stuff again to kind of give us a nice little goodbye. And then we will see everybody again next week. Yeah, so uh, you can find me, Sed, at Sed underscore Senpai on Twitter. Um, I don't really use my personal Twitter that much, uh, maybe just to interact with a few people here or there. But um, you can also find us more actively on the One More Mana Twitter page, uh, which is at Mana Squad. And uh, we also have our own Patreon as well under Mana Squad. Uh, you can find us at One More Mana as well. And uh, we also have an affiliation with TCG Player. If you guys ever uh, go to the one of our YouTube channels and like some of the cards that we talk about, you can um, use our affiliate link under TCG Player. That helps out the channel. I'm pretty sure many people are aware. And um, we also are, I believe, on Facebook under uh, One More Mana. So pretty much everything we post on Twitter, you can find there on Facebook as well. And that's that's us on the internet. Uh, I don't I don't know. Ken, did you ever make a Twitter page? <laughs> yeah, but I'm not ready. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Down the road, Ken, when you're ready. Well, thank you guys, and we'll um, be back to talk to you guys next week. And that's our show for today. You can find the hosts on Twitter. HobbsQ can be found at HobbsQ. And Alex Newman can be found at Mel underscore Chronicler. Send any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to at GoblinLorePod on Twitter or email us at GoblinLorePodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support your friendly neighborhood gobsmite, the cast can be found at Patreon.com slash GoblinLorePod. Opening and closing music by VinderGotten who can be found on Twitter at Vindergotten or online at vindergotten.bandcamp.com. Logo art by Steven Raphael, who can be found on Twitter at Steve Raphael. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Hipsters of the Coast, 
as part of their growing Vorthos content, as well as magic content of all kinds. Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at HipstersOfTheCoast.com. Thank you all for listening. And remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers. <laughs>